Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just doesn't get much better than that to get to see the view out in front of us and yet in our hearts see an even greater view, right? And I love that when that comes alive in me, when Jesus gives me new views of himself, new views of himself, and I get to then worship and something comes alive in me. If I can, if I can stand on the sidelines of a sports team or at a concert, whatever is your gig, which you like to enjoy, right? And, and holler and scream and applaud, I can do that from the depths of my heart for the one that I see who is so amazing. So amazing. And the more he reveals, the more our hearts explode in wonder of who he is. And I was thinking this morning, because we're going to be talking this morning about Jesus being our, our MVP and what, what that means. And you know, we don't tire of watching MVPs, right? Think about somebody like, I'm not, again, I don't even know football, but like somebody like Tom Brady. I mean, how many millions of people turn on their TVs and watch him do the same thing over and over and over again. They cheer and they holler and they get all excited because it's just a wonder that he can do what he does. Or whoever is an MVP in your, in your round. Maybe you don't like Tom Brady, just ignore that. Whatever, you know what I mean. But, but nothing gets old of looking at the wonder of Jesus. And seeing what he can do. And seeing him do it over and over again. And then you see him do something a little new. Or you catch a little glimpse of it this way. And that's what I believe is, and what I'm praying is going to happen this morning. That the Holy Spirit, because I'm just a messenger, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal. I really hope you slept well last night and um, have already been having a beautiful morning. I know I loved having some of you come and exercise with us this morning, get some movement. If you came to that, we were glad to have you. If you didn't come and you want to come tomorrow, you can still come. And for those of you who we maybe were a little noisy and we woke you up, we apologize. But, you know, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. But I hope you had some time in the Word this morning. And good breakfast. Thank you. Yeah. All those working on that. Yeah. Great conversation. Good stuff. Enjoying life together. So I want to make sure that everybody has put your card on the table and just remember you want to pray Colossians 1 9 through 12 from that prayer card over that person before we come back together tonight for a gathering time so you've got all day to do that so I want you to know out of all the messages this weekend I want you to know I'm the most excited about teaching this one but I'm also the most humbled about teaching this one because we're going to be talking about Jesus being our MVP and that is a very humbling thing to do, to try to portray Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to say something worthy enough about him that it might break open in someone's heart. And I know the Lord's going to do that himself, but it does, it is a humbling, it is a humbling thing. Get those notes out if, if you want to use them. We're going to be working through some things, but I just know this morning the Lord wants to have some coaching time with us. To help us to get to know Jesus. We, we know Jesus, but do we know Jesus? You know, do we really know him? Now, Jesus knows our name, and by that, we know that he doesn't just know, okay, she's, you know, Stephanie, and she's Rhonda, and she's Debbie. No, he knows you. Like, he created you. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head, right? So he knows us. Well, you know what? He wants us to know him in the same way. He wants us to be intimately acquainted with who he is. Every team has an MVP, that person whose skills just make them rise to the top. Sometimes it's their character that really also does that. They've got that highest level of talent. They give the most effort. They lead by example. They, that person on a team is necessary for the win, and everybody knows it, right? Everybody knows who that person is, and if they'll play to that person's strengths and yield to that person's strength, usually that team can win. Well, on team life, that person is unequivocally, absolutely, always has been, always will be, is Jesus. And I believe this morning the Lord wants to ask us, do you know that? 
Like, do you really know that? Like, not just say, yeah, I know that, just because Jesus is always the right answer at church, right? He's always the, you know, it's like when you're teaching little kids and you ask the question in Sunday school, Jesus, Jesus, right? Because Jesus is always the right answer. So don't answer like that. Yeah, I know, I know he's the MVP, but I want to ask you, do you know that? Like, deep down in the way that you live in this life, in the way that you think about things when you climb in the shower in the morning, in the way that you feel when you're driving down the street, do you know that Jesus is the MVP? You have experienced him. You've got victory stories in your life that you're like, yeah, let me tell you about when Jesus did this and this and this. I mean, you have done life with Jesus. So it's not that just you've heard other people tell you that he's the MVP. Like, you know it. And if given the opportunity, you're going to tell people. Because it's like you would be telling about somebody else that's, you know, famous or whatever. If you know them, you're going to, like, drag on your Jesus. In a moment, we're going to look into a passage. And we are going to go verse by verse this morning. So, you know, that's my fave. So we're going to do that. But we're going to look at a passage in Colossians that highly exalts Jesus. And if you want, you can think of this passage like team stats. Okay? Team stats. And Jesus' name is going to be at the top of every list. So that sheet that you're going to want to use is the one that says um, Team Life MVP. The rich truths that we're going to find here in Colossians are going to help us know his name. Because we really need to just settle that and get it, get it really deep down in us. Paul talks several times in Colossians about being firmly established in our faith. Having our feet firmly established in truth. He talks in chapter 2 about not turning away. He encourages them not to turn away from the hope that they have had. And we know that Jesus is our hope. So if we ever even start to turn our gaze just a little bit for the fact that Jesus is Lord over all, we need to know these stats so well that we go, oh no, no, and turn right back. Never leaving the truth that Jesus is the MVP. Now, I really think this morning the, the reason the Lord wanted us to start off with just asking again and again, do you know that he is the MVP? Is because sometimes I think we don't know that. We don't know that. And I think one of the reasons that we don't know that is because in reality, we want to be the MVP. We want to be the MVP. Or we want to give that role to somebody else in human flesh around us. If it's ourselves that we're trying to, you know, exalt, if we think of ourselves as wanting to have the attention or the affection or the interest or, you know, get it our way. Unless any of us think that, oh, no, that's not me. I know Jesus is the MVP. The Bible actually says that pride is the root of all sin, right? And so what is that pride? It's trying to exalt ourselves, trying to, you know, put ourselves in the position of being the most important. And honestly, ladies, I see that so much in the culture of the church today. About 10 years ago or so, one of the biggest issues in the church, if you would just, you know, kind of scan the, the broad scope of the church worldwide, one of the things that was an issue, an, an, an area where we were starting to turn away from thinking that Jesus was the MVP, was what people would call the prosperity gospel. Ever heard of that? So if that, if you haven't, it, it was this idea that, okay, yeah, I love Jesus with everything I have, but what really began to be the focus is, what can Jesus give me, like, materially? How can he make me prosperous? Can he give me a new job? Can he give me a new car? Can he, you know, make our lives all big, you know, in a, in a prosperous way, materially? And I think that's still an issue sometimes. Certainly people turn away to that. But really, in this day and time, it's not a prosperity gospel, but it has become a popularity gospel. Where I'm not about making Jesus great, I connect my life to Jesus because I want him to make me great. And there's a subtle difference in that. And I think this morning before we even start talking about Jesus being the MVP and all the reasons that he is, is that we make sure that if we have started to turn our gaze just a little bit, or maybe even a lot, into a prosperity gospel, into a popularity gospel, that we turn it back and we center ourselves in the truth that Jesus is the MVP, that we make sure that we know that he is. It's so easy in this world today where everybody is about putting their face out there, putting their big moments out there so everybody can see to start attacking 
attaching ourselves to Jesus. Oh, we're all about Jesus. But at the core of who we are, who are we really trying to promote? Ourselves or Jesus? And really, we're the only ones that can know. And sometimes we can be deceived and even knowing it about ourselves. So I really believe the Lord just wanted us to take a moment and to just center ourselves back into knowing before we even get started in the word with as much as we can know to just say if there's any place in us that has become too self-focused that we are maybe aligning our lives with Jesus because of what he can do for us or how he can promote us in this world that we turn it back and we get centered and know this is about him and don't get me wrong Jesus he's all about blessing you I mean he he will pour out on you in a prosperous way. He will prosper your life. And he is all about blessing you to where you rise up into the greatness that he created you to be. I mean, he that's one of the reasons that he's so great, that he is the MVP, is because he's so generous with everything that he has. And he loves us. He is all about serving us and blessing us and all of that. But we cannot make our motivation, hey, let me get with Jesus because then he's going to make us great. It's a subtle difference. And we've got to be really careful with it. So this morning, we're just going to go back in and we're going to worship, singing to him one more time, just a very simple song that we probably all know, to just exalt the name of Jesus, to make sure that the attention is on him. And you know what? If you do find any place of pride in your heart in that, it's not a, it's not a place of shame. It's just, a, just like anything where we have to go, oh, I I, I'm a little off here. Let me get let me get right in. Let me get right in that. You know, I, I think I've told you I'm a Pilates instructor. So one of the things I do when I teach Pilates love is I walk by the 12 clients that are in the room doing the move, and I will adjust them. Like I might push their hip just a little bit that way, or turn their shoulder that way. Wendy comes to my class, and she knows that I've pushed her hip before. Nicole, you know, we do that. We, we want to get lined up just right because if not, then we we mess up. We get injured. We get hurt. And in the same way, we might be just a little off. So that correction of getting back in line is not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's just like it is to our benefit that we know the position we need to be in, that Jesus is always above us, that we never put ourselves in that place. So we're going to sing just for a moment. Recenter yourself into that knowing Jesus, right? We exalt him. We exalt him.
worship you. You are our MVP. We ask you to show off for us this morning, God. Let us worship you. Let us see you for all that you are. So, I mentioned earlier that I was um, excited about this message, but I'm also a a lot humbled by it, actually. Um, And I want to tell you a little bit more about that. So, for whoever has my trading card, I don't know who it is, but I appreciate you praying for me today. But you'll notice at the top of the trading card, it says team member since, right? And it says 1974. So I was eight years old when I, you know, when I accepted Jesus. And that was awesome, you know, to come to know Jesus at a young age. But I was 29 before I really started getting to know Jesus. So I was way behind the learning curve, right, in that regard. Now, without a doubt, you know, that was long before social media was even ever thought of, but I can tell you, my life was all about me. It doesn't take social media to make people's lives, you know, be in pride. I mean, pride has been the center of all sin since, you know, the fall of man. Now, I was a Christian. I know that God really did save me at eight years old. I just had not come to understand any of the grace of God in truth yet. I was born again, I was a baby in Christ, my spirit was alive, but I was uneducated. So you could say I was ignorant, I was biblically ignorant. And as a result, I would have been that person on the team, and every team has them, people who are not rising up, right? And doing what they're supposed to do to where they're a beneficial member of the team. In fact, there are a lot of times people who are on teams that take more away from the team than they bring to the team. And I would have been that person. And I was just making the trading cards. What I, It was interesting to me to find that many of you said the same things. Like when you were answering that question, like, when did you come to know Christ? Many of you wrote, well, I received Christ when I was six, but I was 22 before God really got a hold of my heart. And I read that over and over again. So I know that many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. I could relate to that. In my life, at the age of 29, I had two ladies who would have been a pathos to me. Remember, we talked about a pathos last night. He was the one that shared with the people in Colossae. Well, I had two of them, and their names were Nan and Sis. And I praise God for them to this day. Like, they would be in the Team Life Hall of Fame for me, right? Because God used them so much in my life. They began to share the wonders of Jesus. I had heard all my life that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. I had gone to Bible college and learned that, taken tests, and gotten A's on them, but it was like just right over because I wasn't engaging personally with it. But at 29, that's when the gospel, like my eyes were opened, like just like we said, you know, the light came on. And then from then on, so now I'm 53, I have been getting to know Jesus. But I'm behind the learning curve because I missed those years from eight to 29, really. I knew, I knew a few things about Jesus. It was not like I didn't know who he was and you know some basic things, but I was really ignorant about who Jesus was. So because of that, that really humbles me to get up and, and speak a whole message on Jesus. Now, whenever I'm teaching, it's always about Jesus, but you spend the entire time talking of Jesus, that, that, that makes me a little nervous because I don't want to misrepresent Jesus in any way and I want to give him the credibility that he deserves. And when you're talking about the king of kings of the universe, oh, oh my goodness. But you know what? Thankfully, the word's going to teach us this morning. We're just going to work through a passage. I just get to be a messenger of what it says. And I actually want to tell you, right before we get started into that specifically, about a beautiful thing that happened as I was getting this message down on paper. I had been meditating on the passage and all of that as as I was getting ready to do it. But every time I would go to actually sit down at my computer and start putting this down on paper, you know, to get, get, get a really logical message laid out so that I could bring it to you, I found myself stalling. And I found myself finding other things to do. And this went on for days. And then I was finally like, Lord, what is wrong with me? Because I knew I had some deadlines and some things that I had to meet to be able for us to get other things ready for fall Bible getaway. And I'm like, I have got to get this message on paper. Why am I feeling anxious about it? Why am I stalling? And the Lord drew me back. And he said, 
You know, basically because you felt behind the learning curve. Because you know in your heart you still don't know Jesus. Maybe to the level that you should know Jesus, having known him since eight years old. And so that definitely stirs that up in my heart. But here's what happened. The Lord drew me into a moment of taking communion. And in that moment, when I said to him, Lord, because this is basically what I do in communion now. As I just say, Lord, what is it about your gospel that I need to be nourished with in this moment? Where my flesh is just not in line with what my soul is not in line with what you desire for me. And he immediately reminded me of one of the things that the gospel does. It opens up the door so that I can come into the throne room and spend time with my father. And he just said to me in my heart, just come on in here, sit with me, and I'll tell you about Jesus. And you just write down what I say. And I went to my computer, and we just had a wonderful time. So this morning is going to be basically me sharing with you some things that God just downloaded into my heart as he talked me through this passage as I sat in the throne room. I could have stayed in my striving and just sat down at my computer and tried to do it myself. And just from past experience, I can tell you that would have taken me days and days and days. And yet God just did it in a matter of a few hours as I sat with him and he took me through. So we're going to do that. So Lord, just talk to us all like we're in the throne room right now. Just, just let us hear from your word. Just use my mouth to where you can reveal who Jesus is in greater ways. Like we're watching an MVP that we are MVP that we've seen over and over, but we're going to see something a little different today. We're going to see something that breaks open in our hearts and just makes worship explode on the inside of us. Thank you, God, for that privilege that the gospel opens up to us to sit and talk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians chapter 1, our MVP. We find this passage comes right after the amazing prayer that we're praying. In verses 9 through 12. So it's going to start in verse 13. And I want to just read the whole thing. Verses 13 to 20. It says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. There's a lot of stuff in here, ladies. God's got a lot to tell us this morning. Let's look. So, first one. Jesus is highly exalted and set apart as the MVP because Jesus has a kingdom. Jesus has a kingdom. Verse 13 tells us that God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the what? To the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, sometimes people are given a position of MVP because of what they possess. Now, it's not always a right choice to give them that position. Sometimes choices of an MVP on just a normal team in this world can get a little bit, uh, show a little bit of favoritism or maybe have some nepotism in it or whatever, you know. Um, but a lot of times it, it might even be based on what somebody has. For instance, maybe somebody has like really cool gear. And so it's like, wow, he, he's really special. Or maybe that person comes from a wealthy family. And so there's a lot of wealth. And so the team needs money. And so, you know, the, the coach just kind of acquiesces to that person and, and really utilizes them and exalts their position. They didn't really earn it, but it's because of what they have. So that doesn't always play out in a genuine, honest way in the world. And Jesus is certainly an MVP for way more reasons than what he possesses. But the very first one is about something that he possesses. And it's the kingdom that he possesses. Let's look at the difference between a kingdom and dominion. What does this say? He delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom. Jesus put us in a kingdom. You know, there's a big difference between a kingdom and a dominion. That word dominion, actually, 
um, of darkness. Some versions say the power of darkness or the authority of darkness, the control of darkness, the life of darkness. One of those even said the tyrannical rule of darkness. So it's a very negative connotation of being in a dominion. But a kingdom is very different. A kingdom has, an con a, a, you know, said in the context of implying a place of privilege, a place of belonging, of order, of provision, and blessing. So Jesus has this kingdom that is positive. It's full of light. It's full of life. He possesses that. And we, without him, are, like we talked about last night, are over here in this negative place of darkness that like, can be like tyranny in our hearts, like just ruling over us in negative ways. And Jesus says, hey, look, I've got this kingdom, and I'm willing to share it with you. Come into my kingdom. That's the very first reason we would set him apart as the MVP. In fact, he's so gracious in character that his goal is to get as many people out of that dominion of darkness and to put them into his kingdom. So very first thing, Jesus has a kingdom. Number two, Jesus is a redeemer. Jesus is a redeemer. Verse 14 says this, in whom we have redemption. You know what? In whom we have redemption. What is redemption? Well, it's definitely a word that's most often used in church, unless you are a couponer and you think of redeeming a coupon, all right? But I want us to look at, um, with, you know, beyond coupons, and let's think of the spiritual understanding that this word oozes, um, that oozes, you know, the spiritual understanding that comes from it. We can give the word definition, and we will, but before we even go there with definitions, when we have spiritual understanding and eyes to see the things that God is doing, we can look at a situation and just go, oh, there is redemption all over that. Like we see or we start hearing a story or we see somebody's life changing or situation or circumstance take on a whole new light and we can just be like, oh, that's my Jesus, right? He redeemed that thing. We might not even be able to explain it all the way around, but we just know in our, in our spirit, right? Because we identify God's spirits on the inside of us. We're like, oh, Jesus has been working on that. He's redeemed that thing. So there's just that knowing from a spiritual standpoint of just being able to see beyond the surface and know that, that Jesus has been redeeming. But let's look, too, at just the literal word. What, what does the word redemption mean? It means liberation procured by a payment of ransom. Okay, So being liberated because a ransom was paid. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? We know that. He died for us. That was the ransom payment to liberate us from that tyrannical rule of darkness. That's what he did for us. But I also like this definition of the word redemption. Serving to offset or compensate for a defect. Let me repeat that. Serving to offset or compensate for a defect. And that is what Jesus does for us now, continually. So he redeemed us in the sense that he paid the ransom for us. But now in present tense, moment by moment, day by day, Jesus is serving us to offset our defects, to compensate for our defects. Think of a team. Now, if the, if the MVP has got all these amazing skills, but everybody else on the team is just kind of so-so. Like they, they, they don't have the, the, the skills that are really needed. There's defect in their skills. What do you do? You play to the strength of the MVP because what, the way they serve is going to offset the defects of the rest of the people who aren't very good, right? And you know how to do that. It's like get the ball to him because he's going to put it in the basket or get the ball to him because he can throw it. And, and we know that, and the rest of us just do our best to keep up, right? We do our best to, to try to celebrate and to be a part of it. And that's kind of the picture of what this is like. You know what? Jesus sees the defects in us. We can't hide them. But what does he do present day over and over and over again? He steps in to redeem those things in us that are defects, where we don't have what it takes. And he just comes in day after day, and he offsets those things. And it's awesome, because then we get to see, hey, Jesus is just taking care of these things where I haven't yet come into the place of fullness of life that I, I need. He might look at our lives and see a place where we need healing, a defect. And so what does he do? He steps in and he brings that healing. 
He might look at our lives and, and he sees we are being strangled by some emotions. And so what does he do? He steps in and he starts setting those things free so that we can be made whole. Or he might look at our lives and there is a defect of wisdom in a way that we are handling a situation. So he steps in to provide that wisdom from heaven so that we can get a win. So that we're not left to ourselves out in the field and going, there's no way. Like I'm just getting pummeled here. Right? No, Jesus, MVP, comes running down the field. And he's like, I got it, girl. Don't worry. I'm going to redeem this. And, and here's the thing. Because this tells us in verse 14, we have redemption. It's not something that I'm hoping maybe Jesus will show up today. Oh, please, MVP, come. No, we have it. We possess it. And so we get to operate that. That's one of the reasons he's the MVP. Because we're like, he always shows up. He always shows up. He always does it. And it's amazing because we get to experience that. So in him, we have redemption. And you know what? Nobody else can touch that skill of Jesus. Other people can help. There's people in the team, on the team, that come alongside us. And a lot of times, they kind of offset our defects too, you know? I mean, my husband, he offsets some defects for me, right? Sometimes I just need to laugh at things because I can get way too serious. And so he has the gift of just laughter and making things fun, sometimes to a fault, I think. But, you know, he can come in and he can just offset that for me. And that's awesome. So it's not like none of us are able to bring help in the redemptive area at all. But, oh, my goodness, compare my redemptive abilities to Jesus' redemptive abilities, doesn't even compare, right? So we have redemption in him. That's one of the reasons that he is the MVP. What about number three? Jesus offers forgiveness. He's the only one able to do that in the way that we need it. Now, certainly, we need forgiveness from one another. We'll talk about that some as we talk about relationships. If I offend Amber, and I know that, and I'm grieved in my heart about that, and I'm feeling that, I need to know as I seek her forgiveness that she says, yes, Sharon, you know, I forgive you. But this is talking more in the grand scheme of all of life, like where we are dead in our sins and we need forgiveness. The only person that can do that for us is Jesus. On, on sports teams or other kinds of teams, I mean, maybe on a basketball team, that person is the MVP because they have a skill of being able to spin around and dunk the ball and nobody else can do that. Or on the swim team, this person has the fastest time ever. Nobody else can touch that. Well, in this regard, nobody can offer us forgiveness. No one. The forgiveness that we need from God other than Jesus. He's the only one ever who will be able to do that because he's the only one who lived a sinless life, who could take on our sin and deal with it and then offer us the forgiveness. So that sets him apart as that MVP. What about number four? Jesus is the image of God. Verse 15 tells us that. It says, and he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The book of Hebrews, which is one of my favorite books in scripture, tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God. It says that he is the radiance of God's glory and he is the exact representation. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1. That means nobody, no matter how beautiful, how lovely, how, you know, magnificent they look, how much they have it together, even can come close to being the exact image of God. Jesus alone carried the total image of God on his life. Now, we were created in his image, and now that we have been redeemed and we've been brought onto the team, we can begin to bear the image of God. But again, that's something that's getting worked out in us over time in our, in our soul. And it can be glorious. Like, have you ever looked at somebody and, I mean, you can see the light of Christ in their eyes. You can see the joy of the Holy Spirit on their face. You can see the love of God moving through their hands and feet. I mean, that is bearing the image of God. That is shining out the light and the glory and the radiance of God. But nobody is the exact representation of God. In fact, what we find in the Bible is that Jesus not only is a representation of God, but he actually is God. And that's something that we have to wrap our head around because sometimes people will say, well, how could he be the image of God 
and then actually be God at the same time. And you know what? That's one of those things that you have to have spiritual wisdom and understanding to get. It's something you have to know deep on the inside of you that the Holy Spirit reveals. It's not just facts, theological facts, but it's being able to grab hold of that. It's part of the mystery of the gospel that Jesus can be the image of God and yet be God at the same time. But as we open our eyes and hearts to see, God will continue to astound us with the divinity of Jesus. That he wasn't just a man who came and did good things. A lot of people like to put Jesus in that category. Oh, he was a prophet. He was one of the best men ever. He served people. I want to be like Jesus, but he's not God. But that's not the truth of what God's word tells us. He is the image of God, meaning the exact representation, but yet at the same time, he is God. And the Holy Spirit will reveal that to us more and more, the divinity of who he is and what that means as we play the game throughout our lives. And that really leads us right to the next quality of Jesus that sets him apart as our MVP. And that's number five. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So verse 15, we just read it. He is the image of the invisible God. The second part of that verse is the firstborn of all creation. So what does that mean? Sometimes people will say, well, that disqualifies Jesus from being God because that really makes it sound like he was created by God. And if he was created by God, then he can't be God. All right? But that's not what this is about at all. The title of firstborn in ancient culture was really not always about birth order. Many times it was given to the person who was firstborn, like physically. They were the one that first came out of their mother's womb before their other siblings did. But not always. What this is really all about, if you had the title of firstborn, that meant that you were given rank and you were given authority in that family. Whoever got the firstborn status was given the inheritance of the family and the leadership of the family. So here we are told, right here in verse 15, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? It means that he holds the authority and the leadership of the team. That tells me that he has the highest position on the team, right? That he is the MVP. If you look in the Old Testament, which I love to study the Old Testament, you might remember a story about Jacob and Esau, okay? Classic example of two brothers, and the one who came out of the womb first did not get the firstborn authority, right? And actually, prophetically, Esau, the physical firstborn, the one who was birthed first, he is actually a prophetic picture of Adam, the firstborn, right, man in the world, right? And Jesus, or Jacob, the brother, who actually came out second, but ended up being given that firstborn status, he is that prophetic picture of Christ in authority and rank. All right? Now, how Jacob got that and the way that he went about that was not necessarily a prophetic picture of Christ. But there... Um, their status of firstborn and not really represents into Christ's authority. Jacob was not born first physically, but he got the firstborn status, meaning he became the leader. Jesus was not the firstborn, you know, human on the earth. Adam was, but Jesus holds the firstborn status, meaning he holds that rank and authority. So that's just another reason he's set apart as MVP. And there's so much more. Verse 16 opens up another one. Jesus is creator. What does it say? For by him all things were created. It's almost like with these verses, if you read them, if you start memorizing them, it's almost like you can hear the crescendo. Like he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more you dig into these verses, you start seeing connection between the things, how one is building on the other. And that's definitely happening here because he's this and he's this. Oh, and he's this too. And he's this and he's this. Whereas verse 13 told us he possesses the kingdom, what we find here, he created the kingdom. <laughs> he doesn't just own it. He now, he, we find out that he actually created it. Verse 16, by him all things were created. That description of Jesus just lays it out there. Because listen to how it continues. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and where? On the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, 
rulers or authorities, right? It keeps going through all these things, and then it says all things. So if you were going to say, oh, yeah, but what? No, all. <laughs> right? All things have been created by him and for him. That all just takes care of it all, right? Everything was created by him. Certainly another reason that he would be set above. Like, look at that ocean. He spoke that into existence. I mean, just sit in that for a moment. He did that. He created that. He's Lord over it. Amazing. Jesus, our MVP. Number seven, Jesus is the point of it all. See, we could just scoot right through the rest of verse 16 and not even see it. But when you take time to meditate and dig into it, tells us all these things about creation. Then it says all things have been created by him, what? And for him. There's so much that could be said about that. So much to ponder. We're just going to take a moment. Like we just said, that beautiful ocean that he created, it's for him. Now, I might not understand that, but sometimes I think it's for me. I love it, right? You know, I like to come sit by it. It's my favorite place in the world. Put my feet in it, swim in it, all those things, go on cruises on it. I mean, I can make that ocean be about me, but it is not about me. That ocean is about him. I get to enjoy it, right? Because he's let me be on the team and allowed me to experience a lot of life that I would never have experienced outside of him. But that is about him. The sunrise that maybe if you were up early enough this morning that you saw this morning, that's about him. In fact, the Bible actually tells us, it's amazing, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the sunrise from on high. So not only is he making the sunrise every morning, but somehow he is the sunrise. Another one of those things that we have to spiritually understand and just give God opportunity to, you know, pray we pray into that and say, you know, help me to understand the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Give me, give me understanding. Or later on in that passage that we're praying, it says that we would increase in the knowledge of God, right? That, that somehow our minds would be able to take all of that in. Everything you can look around and see, not only did Jesus make it, but whatever you see finds its value and its purpose in him. Whether you understand that or not, whether I understand that or not, that's what God's word tells us and that's true. And that means that not only everything that we look around and see is created by him and for him, but when I look in the mirror, that means that I also, my purpose in life is about him. I was created for him. And then that means everything about my life is also for him. Whatever I spend my time doing, that is for Jesus. My thoughts, my efforts, my marriage is about Jesus. It's not about me. My children are about Jesus, right? My job, fill in the blank, whatever your life roles hold, all of that is about Jesus. It's all been created by him and for him. We might not know how that is about Jesus, but we can begin to pray into that and ask God. Instead of just going, you know, making our world great and like creating our own empires or kingdoms or whatever, and then go, oh, and we do it all for God's glory, right? But it's not. It's really all about us, and we're really making it all about us. Instead, dig into that and find out and ask God, how can I really make this about you? Not just tacked on a little religious phrase at the end of this thing so it makes it sound like I'm being spiritual. Because we have a tendency to do that a lot in the church. We do our own thing, and then we just tack God's name onto it. And we don't want to do that. Because if this is really all about him, let's make it really all about him. And, and even if we don't understand what that means, maybe we're first graders in our understanding. Well, let's say, God, take me to school and show me and teach me how to grow up to where I get a master's degree, a doctor degree, in understanding how this part of my life is supposed to be about you. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that that's not true. and doesn't mean it doesn't have to be fleshed out in my life. And I'm preaching that to me just as much. Because I can get all about my stuff. And try to tack Jesus onto it so that I feel accepted in the Christian community. So that I can kind of justify me doing it, right? And yet still just making life about me. When this tells me that it's all about him and it's for him, then somehow I need to ask God to, to make that so. To make me understand that so that I can walk in that and keep him as the MVP and not start turning that spotlight onto me in any way. He is the point of it all. Number eight. Jesus is first of everything, everything. For many years, I thought that Jesus, and I'm, I'm 
straight up serious about this. This is the way my brain thought. I thought that Jesus was God's plan B. Okay? I thought that God created the world and, you know, all the Bible stories and the things that happened and God just kept getting madder and madder and more mad. And that would be the better English, right? More mad and more mad, more angry and more angry and going, these people just cannot get it. i got to come up with another plan. And so then he created Jesus, sends him to the world, and oh my goodness, how awful it is that we have made Jesus die for us. And so that's why I would feel like if I took communion, I needed to sit there and cry. Because I should feel really, really bad that Jesus did this for me. And I totally missed that. That was not the gospel. What does this tell us in here? It says, he is before all things. Verse 17. He is before all things. I obviously did not have a right understanding of the gospel. And you know what? Let that be a, a sobering pause for all of us who have any kind of charge of sharing truth with children, with people. That we make sure that we really share the truth. That we don't just assume that people understand these things just because they're in the walls of the church or sitting in a Bible study. We've got to really teach what the gospel is. Verse 17 says, he is before all things. This is all about Jesus' eternal nature. Jesus, who is God, was present before there ever was any of this. Before that ocean existed, Jesus existed. He existed. This bears very much resemblance to the very first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning, God, because Jesus is God, right? Meaning, before, before the world was here, God was here. Now, that makes my brain hurt. I'm like, how could that be? I don't get that. And then you start really thinking about it, and you think, okay, that means he was never created. So that means he's always, always been. Eternity, when you really think about eternity, it makes my brain go, Ugh. Like, I can't comprehend that. There are thoughts of God that are so much higher than we are, but we can at least understand this in its simplicity. That means Jesus has always been here. You know, sometimes MVP status is granted on longevity of performance. I think he gets it, right? He's always been, always been, we can agree. On this case alone, he would be the MVP of, their of the team. But what else? There is more. Number nine, Jesus is the glue of the team Amen. and of all creation. Because what does verse 17 say? And he is before all things, which we just talked about. But now it says, and in him, what? All things hold together. All things hold together. There's a similar concept that we keep running into as we're reading through these verses. I'm not sure if you're seeing it or not, so I want to mention it. It's a little three-letter word, and it's the word all, right? All creation, the point of all things, before all things. Now, look at this one. All things hold together in him. These are your all verses, okay? And we need to know these verses that use this word all because they are all about Jesus. Paul leaves no room for discussion, and I love that. He keeps giving it in an exact amount, all, because he's speaking in absolutes about Jesus over and over again, and this time telling us in him all things hold together. So, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so, and some of you have probably heard this before. Um, a lot of you probably know of Louis Giglio. Um, he is a pastor. He's the leader of the Passion Movement. He leads Passion City Church in Atlanta. And, some of you might have even been to a passion event in Atlanta. Um, really amazing stuff coming out for their younger culture in this country to just pursue Jesus. But the Lord gave him a window to see something that then he shared with the world in a message. And it's really related to this verse here. So apparently all of us have a protein in our body and it's called laminin. And that protein in each one of our bodies that Jesus created is literally what holds all of our zillions of cells in our body together. Without this protein in our body, our body would literally fall apart. All right? So laminin is the glue that holds us together. And like we said, Jesus is the one, when he created our bodies, he's creator of all things, so he's the one that thought up laminin and put it all there together. But do you know from just a scientific um, standpoint what the molecular picture of laminin looks like. I actually have a picture for you, and this is no coincidence. This is the picture of laminin. Okay? That's no coincidence. Way before anything ever was happening in, in our generation, way before the world was even here, this is how Jesus planned to hold us all together. 
So, what would you say, so clever? He's so clever. So clever, yes, so clever. So amazing, this idea of laminate. And I love that it's in the shape of a cross because literally without the cross, our lives would fall apart. They do fall apart without the cross. I love the attention to detail that Jesus put on even that. And even when he was doing that and putting laminin in Adam and Eve's body, the first one, he was thinking ahead to that moment when he was going to say, I'm going to share that story with this guy named Louie. In, you know, 1999 or whatever it was he did it. I can't remember when I actually heard it. But I just love that. That he's thinking of all those details. Definitely MVP status. Without him, the whole team falls apart. Without him, I fall apart. And you do too. Number 10, Jesus is head of the body, the church. Verse 18 goes on to say that he is also head of the body, the church, right? I mean, it's exactly there. This weekend, we're calling the church team life because the church is a group of people who are saved from death to life, living in the life of Christ, and knowing that life is going to be theirs for eternity. Jesus is the giver of this life, so it just makes sense that he would be the head of those who are in life, right? If he gives the life, if he created the life, if he's the one that restored the life, makes the life available, resurrected us to life, and gives us that opportunity to experience that resurrection, it just makes sense that he would be the head. He knows the most about life if life is truly in him, and we know that it is. But too many times, in just my short 53 years of life, and I say short, I, now I'm saying I'm young because I'm going to live forever, right? So this is very, very young. But anyway, in my short 53 years, I have seen so many Christian leaders try to be the head of the church. And we're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And a lot of times, maybe we're not trying to be the head of the church, but we try to push other people into that role of being the head of the church. Remember earlier when we first got started, we talked about maybe we veer off just to the side, not letting Jesus be the MVP because we want to be the MVP, or sometimes we try to make somebody else be the MVP. Don't do that. Jesus is the head of the church. We know this passage, the Holy Spirit can cause it to bring it back to us. And it starts so subtly. We start exalting a person. We start looking at them and just, you know, talk. when we finish listening to them, instead of talking about Jesus, we're talking about them. Right? We're talking about how great they are, they are, how clever they are, how you know fascinating they are, how great of a speaker they are. I hate it when people talk about me after I speak. I want to hear people talking about Jesus. That's one of the guardrails I put in my life, and I pray into that so that I don't make it about me. It's very easy if you stand before people to start making it about yourself. And the worst thing we can do for those people is to start exalting those people. Jesus is head of the church, and we have to make sure that we keep him head of the church. It's great to encourage people. I mean, I love to hear people say, hey, that really blessed me, but I don't want it to be about me. I would never call a ministry that I'm leading, and I'm not, no judgment on anybody else, but I would never call this Sharon Thomas ministry, right? This is Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the head of the church. And there's little subtle things that we have to make sure we keep in place, not exalting ourselves as head of the church or anybody else. Jesus is head of the church. If he had not risen from the dead, there would be no church. There would be no team life. He is life. Number 11, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That's what it tells us in verse 18. He's also head of the body of the church, which we just talked about, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, the Bible actually tells us that there were lots of people that were raised from the dead before Jesus, you know, came up from the grave. In fact, Jesus himself raised Lazarus and raised a, a, a woman's son. And, uh, you know, he raised several from the dead. And that happened in the Old Testament as well. But as we understand the gospel, we also understand that this description is about way more than just physical death. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, yes, his physical body came out of the grave. And that gives us a lot of hope for our bodies. Right? When you look at your body, you know, hey, I get a new body. The Bible tells me I get a new body in heaven. So he did that physically, but we also find that he resurrected in his spirit and his soul. He took our sins upon himself. So in order for him to be able to come out of the grave, he had to resurrect over the flesh, over his soul, over the way he thought, felt, 
and um, made choices. So he did that, and he also rose up spiritually. His spirit came alive. In fact, the Bible talks about how he became one with the Father. So when he resurrected, he fully came back to life. And that means we get to experience that as well. Why is he the MVP? Because he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the only person who really, in every way, completely, spirit, soul, and body, rose up from the grave. Others were raised physically, but he's the only one who has been raised spirit, soul, and body. That means he's the first one, but that doesn't mean that he's the only one. He's the first one. All of us get the opportunity to experience that too, right? What did we read yesterday in Colossians? It is the, actually to this passage right here. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, right? To dwell in Jesus so that then he can pass that fullness along to us. Actually, in chapter 3, those verses that we are memorizing are all about him raising from the dead and us getting to experience that too. And it's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual death, that spirit raising up, and our flesh or our soul. Let me mention again, just as you're getting these things clear in your mind, when I say the word soul or if I say the word flesh, they're the same thing, all right? Sometimes we can start thinking flesh, well, that sounds like my body. No, flesh means meaning your mind, will, and your emotions. Soul meaning your mind, will, and emotions. It's the same thing. Jesus rose up from all of that, over all of that, and he gives us that opportunity as well. That's what this card these verses in Colossians 3 are all about. So, we're working on verse 2 and 3 today. Let's start verse 1 and try to say that out loud together. Okay? If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Say that again. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our goal today is to add that second and third verse in, that blue part, all right? So he's the firstborn from the dead, and he invites us to share that with him. Only Jesus. Now the latter part of verse 18 is a description of Jesus and a conclusion to what has been said about him thus far in all this that we've been reading. It says this in verse 18. It says, So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. We see him as having a kingdom, as having redemption, as having forgiveness, as being the image of God, as being the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, holding all things together, being before all things, being the head of the church, being the firstborn from the dead. All of that is there so that we would see that he has first place in everything, right? So he has first place in everything. That's the reason he is the MVP. These verses has take, have taken us through each and everything. But I want to just look at the next three that we find in a couple of the verses that follow. follow. Number 13, Jesus is the fullness of all things. 12 is that Jesus has first place in everything. 13 Jesus is the fullness of all things. We mentioned this verse just a moment ago. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And actually, if you want to just look over to chapter 2, verse 3, it says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Right? So he just filled up with these things. So that means everything I need, I will find in him. There's a line in a newer worship song right now that I'm just loving, and it says... There's nothing I need that your love doesn't offer. Right? He has a full supply of everything. And God sent him to earth like that. It's like God packed Jesus up, right? Just filled him up to the brim and sent him to us. That would make sense then if he has the fullness that he is the MVP. Several years ago, some of you were here for Fall Bible Getaway that year. I think it was three years ago. Our theme was filled up. And back Kim. Kim, don't you have your shirt on? Yes, it says filled up right there. That year, okay, filled up in Christ. She will model for you. Yes, all right. But we talked that weekend from a passage in Ephesians about the fullness of Christ. That year, God did such a work in my heart, showing me the fullness that I have in Christ. Filled up to all the fullness he is. But here's the wonder of it all. 
God has given us reason after reason after reason to see how exalted Jesus is. And then he continues to show us the opposite. He's exalted, but now he's going to show us the humility. And you know, a lot of times when somebody is the MVP, people that are so skilled and yet have such a humble presence, people just love those people, right? Because you see such a depth of character. And oh my goodness, Jesus is all of this and more that we probably can't even wrap our heads around. This is just a little bit of what God's telling us. And then he stoops so low. Number 14, Jesus is the sacrifice. We read this in verse 20. It says, through him. So let me back up to verse 19 to help make sense. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, in Jesus. And through him, through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do you think Paul's trying to make a point? Who is this sacrifice through, right? Through Jesus. He says it three times in a matter of, you know, just one sentence. It's through Jesus. And, that, and this is not revelation to us, but hopefully it is at the same time. After seeing so much of who Christ is and spending the last 30, 40 minutes on that and then seeing what he's willing to do to make peace with us through his blood, having nailed himself to the cross in that way because we all know he chose to do that, right? He could have jumped off that cross in a heartbeat, but he chose to stay there. Nobody put him on that cross. He put himself on that cross because he could have come off. Jesus did this. There was no assisting play in this play. No second string player waiting to be in the sidelines. You know, oh, I'll jump in if he can't handle it. Jesus did all of it. It's through him. Through him. He alone is the sacrifice. He alone has that depth of character. And that takes us right into number 15. Jesus has a depth of heart. He has a depth of heart. And that's the last thing we're going to look at today. And actually, we're going to go into verses 21 and 22 to see that. Because we find ourselves right there looking at that verse, square in the face that we looked at several times last night. Although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, and engaged in evil deeds, what does it tell us in verse 22? Yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. God is making sure that we see, again, that exalted nature of Christ, and this is what we were like, and yet he came, and he had such a depth of heart that it wasn't about anything of who we were, our character, because we had none. In the eyes of God, we had no character. We had no integrity. We were totally separate from him. We were totally hostile in our mind. We were engaged doing things that were totally opposite. God had no reason other than a depth of heart of love for us to want to do that, and yet he did. God's heart, so deep, so caring. If nothing else, that should tell us that he is the MVP of this team. People that play with heart are people that others like to watch, right? Jesus plays with heart, always. A depth of heart. This morning, my prayer is that God's word has opened your eyes more. Maybe you saw just a glimpse or maybe you saw a full-on view of something that you've really not seen before. Not because of what I said, but because of how the Holy Spirit illumined that word in your heart to who Jesus is. That he is truly the MVP of this team. And what is our response to what God shows us? Hopefully, adoration. Hopefully, worship. Hopefully, thankfulness. Oh my goodness, thankfulness. We have many things that we struggle through, but just get this out and read it and go, okay, yeah, my life's hard, but Jesus, I'm on his team. He's the MVP. He does all of this and more. What, what is our response? Giving our best, aspiring to be like him, learning from him. The world will always try to minimize who Jesus is. That's why we need to know the word of God. And I would say, if you are someone who, like me, had heard about Jesus all my life, but I really just didn't get what people thought was so amazing about him, and maybe if you're really honest with yourself, that, that you realize, I, I, I love like all the Christian thing, but I still just haven't really like been enamored with Jesus, I would say you need to memorize these verses. 
You need to meditate on them. I, I think that, um, in fact, I've memorized them while I was preparing for this, and I, I'm so glad I did. Because now I feel like they are like in my in my being, like they're in my heart. So if I start to turn away at all, the Holy Spirit's going to be able to go, hey, Jesus is the head of the church. Or, hey, Jesus created all this. It's not about you, remember? Like all those things. But if I don't have that word stored in here, I'll go right off to somebody else's word and just head down a path right back to the dominion of darkness in my heart and my mind and my flesh and the way I live. But my response to this needs to be, I need to know this. People that love a team, oh, they know about that team. You start talking to them about that team, they will tell you stats from 20 years ago. These are the stats about Jesus. If we are on this team and he is the MVP unequivocally of this team, then we need to know the stats. We need to know them. So whether you can quote them word by word or you just, whatever you do, write them on your paper, put them in your purse, put them in your Bible. This is the passage about Jesus that just is like puts it there and says, he is it. He is the MVP. This morning, our coach wanted us to know that. He wanted us to hear that, to get it down in our hearts. Our life is founded in Jesus. It's about Jesus. It should worship Jesus. It's all about him. And so I pray that the, 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 the wonder of Jesus has been just revealed before us. And that he, we, we give him permission in our lives to show off, right? To just show off and be all that he is and get the spotlight and get the control and have the victory. That we would know that it comes in him and through him. So we're going to just exalt him as we finish out this time together, just singing one more time, this King of Kings, and let your response flow out of what the Holy Spirit has been showing you this morning. Jesus, 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 our MVP. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. Amen. Mm-hmm.